here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast coming to you from Los Angeles. 70, beautiful 78 degrees and sunny today in Los Angeles. So I don't know where you are around the country, in the world, but hopefully you've had a wonderful day. Of course, my name is Eddie Cohen. I'm the host, the creator of The Spiritual Spiral. And thank you so much for listening. I'm excited about the direction this show is going to go over the next few weeks. I have four guests lined up, nobody today, but I did want to you know, talk about some very complicated topics, and I'm going to be talking about these over the next few weeks. Of course, there will always be a focus about the impact of technology. I think technology is really uprooting Specifically, social media is uprooting the way human beings behave. I I think it's created such an insane, disconnected, dystopian world, and nobody wants to talk about it. There's too much dopamine being given out to people on these platforms. There's too much money that companies like Amazon and Facebook and Instagram are making to possibly think that these platforms could create more harm than good. So of course, I'll continue to talk about technology. But I'm really wanting to talk also about the meaning of life and how people find meaning, how people make sense of it all. I'm even going to be speaking to a minister this coming week. I, you know, I think Kobe's death is really something that I'm thinking about for a lot of various reasons. It just feels as though Life is so fragile, and here's a guy who's 41, seemingly had it all, and just instantly dies. One of the greatest athletes of all time is gone. So it certainly makes me think about mortality and where I go to find meaning, because at any minute, life could just be over. So that's sort of a topic I want to talk about. But I also want to talk about, it feels as though, and I'm going to somehow relate this to Kobe Bryant. And it's, Nellie, come on, get down. Oh my gosh, the cats have been crazy tonight. Come on, get out. Go. It just, it feels as though the world wants us all to be, they want people to be either good or bad. That's all. It's, it's either good or bad. Nothing in between, nothing complicated. And I think that's one of my huge issues with social media and technology. It makes people very one-dimensional, either you're good or bad. People don't know how to deal with people that are in a bad mood. People don't know how to argue or have a difference of opinion with somebody else. People just start yelling and screaming. And I was thinking about this with a few things that sort of came up with Kobe Bryant the last week. And I also was thinking about the way that our culture just sort of idolizes athletes. Like they can do no wrong. And that's what's interesting to me about Kobe Bryant. He's actually quite a complicated human being. I mean, I understand why people have had these emotions and feelings about him, especially out here in Los Angeles, but it it feels like people forgot how complicated of a human being he was. And so 
how this relates to me and what sort of happened to me over the last week. So Kobe Bryant passes away. And I went to record a podcast. But I've, I, of course, I remember when Kobe was accused of committing rape. And I didn't feel as though, I didn't even think about talking about that. Because he just died and his daughter just died and there's this tragic event. But within an hour, the Washington Post, a writer for the Washington Post, within an hour of Kobe Bryant dying, tweets out a link to a Daily Beast article that goes in detail of the things that Kobe Bryant, the actions that Kobe Bryant is accused of during this rape incident in Colorado, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And it certainly looks to me like he's guilty. And they obviously settle. And it was, I think this was way before the Me Too movement. I think it was before social media. I think Twitter was around. But it was a very complicated trial. And the woman that accused him was getting ridiculed and um, criticized by the media and fans. And, and she didn't want to testify because she was scared to go in front of the public because people just absolutely adored Kobe Bryant so much. It's like, it doesn't even matter what he, what he is or who he is because he's so great at basketball. That's all that matters. And so this woman posts this link for the Washington post and she's banned from the Washington post for a week because I mean, it is pretty bad taste, don't you think? I mean, I think it's potentially a, an interesting conversation to have. But within one hour of him passing away and his daughter passing away, this reporter is posting this link on Twitter. Don't you think that's kind of in bad taste? It doesn't, that's the thing. People don't really think about their, the repercussions that something could have. They're not very thoughtful. Clearly her intentions were to get attention or to sort of, you know, stir the pot. And the next day I wake up, I rarely look at Facebook. The next day after Kobe passes away, I open up Facebook and I rarely look at Facebook, maybe once a week, once every other week. The first post on my Facebook page is one of these people, my friends that I follow, I don't even really consider him a friend, but you know, we've connected. We have a couple mutual friends. The first post is his post that says, wasn't he a rapist? That is the leading post on my Facebook page. And it has like two, 300 comments and people are yelling at each other. And I'm thinking, why is he doing that? Why within a day of this guy passing away, is he posting that? Now, you may not think, or people may not think, you know, that's a terrible thing to do, but I just think it's thoughtless. And all of these people, hundreds of people are reading that comment and then getting involved in comments and getting involved in commenting themselves and getting involved in the rabbit hole of that stupid, thoughtless post. And that's what's going on all around the country every single day. People are getting wrapped up in thoughtless meaningless little rabbit hole posts on Instagram and Facebook every single day. Imagine how much time is wasted on meaningless and thoughtless behavior because posts like that get 
fed up to the top of feeds as opposed to more interesting, real, thoughtful articles. Nonsense like that gets people's attention and then it's getting like 300 comments. So people are looking back and reading the comments and getting involved in a quote-unquote conversation about the complexity of Kobe Bryant on a Facebook post as opposed to having real sort of face-to-face conversations trying to figure out how complicated Kobe Bryant's life really was. And what's so frustrating to me is people don't want to go back and read the Daily Beast article and, you know, read about the story. This was a really challenging part of Kobe Bryant's life for obvious reasons. And the other interesting thing is, you know, they talk about this Mamba mentality that Kobe Bryant created where strong work ethic, strong discipline, work your ass off, do whatever you can to complete the task. And I love that. But that Mamba attitude evolved from what happened in Colorado. And I'm sure Kobe Bryant was basically like, fuck this. I don't trust anybody. I'm just going to focus on my craft become the best basketball player I can ever be. I cannot get wrapped up in this this insanity anymore. Even though he may have been guilty, it certainly feels like he was. It became a me-against-the-world mentality. And it all evolved out of his mistake that he made in Colorado. And so this is the other point that I want to talk about. When do you forgive somebody? Because... Or do you ever, do you forget? Do you ever forgive? All these people that go down, down, go to, go to downtown and, and I mean, it's been, I, I was really shaken up by his death. Are people ignoring the type of person that he was? Because he was a challenging person I've read to play with. He wasn't always the easiest teammate. It wasn't until Shaq came along and then Pau Gasol came along where, where he actually won rings. Because before that, he was often called a ball hog. He shot too much. He never passed. He wasn't really the epitome of a team player. I mean, when do you forgive? Do we ever forgive? Or because he created so much joy playing a game, playing a sport, that we're willing to forgive people's actions in their personal life. I don't know. I'm not sure. I I appreciated some articles that came out this week that weren't clickbait like this woman that worked for the, the Washington Post who didn't even say anything. All she did was just click a link or post a link and just you guys share it or look at it if you want. But Mike Lupica, a writer for the New York Daily News, and I think Mark Stein for the New York Times, they both wrote about the complexity of Kobe Bryant's life. As tragic as it is, as heartbreaking as it is that he died at the age of 41 and his daughter died and the seven other members on board all died, it's a terrible calamity. But I appreciate there are writers out there that are talking about the fact that, you know, Kobe Bryant was a complicated guy. He grew up in Europe. A lot of the African-American community did not embrace him at first when he, when he came into the uh, NBA. It took time for the African-American community to embrace him and put their arms around him as one of theirs. He's just, he was a complicated guy. And I think we live in this day and age now where 
people just want to classify someone as good or bad. And I just think that's not possible. I can see why somebody could, who still is holding on to Kobe as being a rapist, I can see why people, when people are having these reactions, crying and calling him a saint and almost treating him like a messiah, I can see why somebody would be rubbed the wrong way if they still looked at him negatively. But I think we have to get more comfortable with this idea that somebody could be a really great human being, but they could also still do some terrible things sometimes. I think that is actually pretty common. Now, the way that I'm able to see Kobe Bryant is, yeah, I remember back then when it happened that I I thought he was kind of a scumbag. But he did, at least what I see and what I've read, he's done a lot for the community. His wife forgave him. His family has seemingly forgiven him. And he's done a lot for, as I said, Los Angeles, bringing people together. He's been very supportive here in the city. I think he's done a lot of work and done a lot of work on himself to forgive him and to think more about the good. He, to me, he created a lot more good than bad. And as terrible as this woman in Colorado, as terrible as that incident may have been, I, of course, I don't know. I mean, I've read the details in the articles, but I wasn't there. But I also think about all the people that he's lifted up in this city, in this community, and brought people together before his death, the way he was raising his girls. And I'd like to think that he did a lot more good than bad. And I just, I don't know. I I think we live in this day and age now where we just want to focus on one or the other. And it's just not that simple sometimes. But I do, I read a lot of stories and I was listening to the radio where people were talking about how loving Kobe was and people would go to camps and Kobe Kobe would be there with, with his daughters and he would always take the time to say hello and talk to people and and it felt as though the older he got, this MABA mentality where it was me against the world, it feels as though that mentality was slowly going away. He was becoming much more approachable, much more loving. I, th- just, I think it's really sad what's happened. And I appreciate people that are willing to talk about him and the complexity of him in a very thoughtful honest perspective. And I hope I've done that now. I I just, I think he's meant to be looked up to. And I'm, you know, the Lakers are playing tonight for the first time since he tragically died last week. So I'm really curious to see how the organization is going to celebrate him this evening. Because again, he did a lot for the city. Sports brings people together. In this day and age where we have the coronavirus and, you know, the Houston Astros are caught cheating and we have a president who may be impeached and it feels as though people are more disconnected, more po- our, our culture is more polarized than ever. If somebody can bring people together and he's bringing millions of people together, I know it may just be just for playing basketball, 
geez, he's obviously done something to bring people. People obviously connect with him in some way. So for that, I think he needs to be celebrated. I just, I think it's really important now to forgive. We don't, it feels like we don't know how to forgive people. Like we just want to hold on to things. We don't want to give people a second chance. We just, we sort of think that somebody is good all the time. And and I think Instagram and social media somehow creates this confusion where we just think everybody's happy and good all the time. And then if somebody does something bad, we don't know how to deal with it or we'll, we'll throw it on Instagram or some social media platform and draw attention to it. And, and there's a, this tribalism aspect to social media where people want to jump on board and basically stone somebody on Instagram and, and social media. It's, it's, it's so strange how people react. And I can see why people are terrified to go outside sometimes. It feels like the, the more famous you are, the more you appear good. If you do anything wrong, people are going to have a field day with you. I can see why people are walking on eggshells because if you do anything wrong and you're a celebrity or if you're in the public eye now, look out because your life potentially will be over. I want to talk about one other topic. And this goes back to the guy's post on Facebook and this woman that worked for the Washington Post who just posts that on Twitter. I've been thinking about this word gatekeeper. We don't really have, it's almost like you, you are your own gatekeeper now. You are, you are in control of what you see. And I think that's pretty problematic. I mean, I even think this idea of a gatekeeper is getting even more blurry because it feels as though the media wants something crazy to be seen, to get your attention. It feels like Fox and CNN don't necessarily mind if something over the top happens on their show because then other media sources are going to talk about it and then people are going to run onto YouTube or wherever to watch this. But up until social media and you know the news doing whatever they could to get your attention, we had dependable gatekeepers that would control, ideally in a mature sort of way, have a sense what's good or bad for people to see. You know, the New York Times obviously has editors that's carefully, I would hope, selecting what is appropriate for their newspaper. I would hope Fox is doing the same thing. Well, social media, Twitter, there there are no gatekeepers. You control who you want to follow, and then you're going to see what they post, and hopefully it's not all fucked up, and it's it's reasonable information that's not going to sway you too much one way or the other. To me, Facebook and, and Instagram, they're worried about you know, violence or uh, pornography or nudity. They obviously are policing and, and gatekeeping for that type of material. 
But all this sort of manipulative material that could affect you emotionally, like this guy posting that nasty comment on Facebook that now two, three, four hundred people are seeing and then they're talking about it and then they're having conversations and wasting time on Facebook. They're not policing for that type of material. But that type of material and that type of nonsense is to me what's causing so much disruption in our culture today. We have people, if if 10 people walk into a room or go to a dinner, God only knows what those 10 people used for information during the day. Nobody knows what's fact. Nobody knows what's true. Nobody knows what's false. Nobody knows what's an opinion piece. I mean, I realize there's a little bit of hypocrisy here because here I am using this platform to sharing my opinions because let's really that's what they are. They're opinions. And it's up to you to decide whether you agree with me or disagree with me, think I'm intelligent or think I'm merely just a menace. It's up to you to decide. So every day, everybody has to make their own decisions on what they believe, what they don't believe, what they think is true, what they believe is false. Are they going to pay attention to this writer, the New York Times? Are you going to pay attention to what I say? Or are you going to turn off and go find somebody else that you connect with? Everybody's getting so much different information and there are no gatekeepers. And when people come together, instead of having two or three news sources, there's now like a hundred. And so God only knows where people are getting their information. So here's my point. I'm going to play a clip for you. And it's again, the Ezra Klein show. You can tell that I really like the Ezra Klein show. Um, He is speaking to, it's actually, the episode is episode 295, and they're talking about anti-Semitism. And he's speaking to Deborah Lipstadt about the rise of anti-Semitism in our culture. But I think this, this relates to what I'm talking about right now. It feels as though you can get anything online to back up your point of view. And then once you do that, you think your point of view is fact. But it's really just an opinion. But it's creating a world where anything can feel as though it's truth. Nobody's fact-checking. Nobody's gatekeeping to get the truth. Facebook and Instagram and all these news sources don't really care about the truth as much anymore. They care about getting your attention. So Ezra Klein is talking to Deborah Lipstadt, a professor of modern Jewish history and Holocaust studies at Emory University. So I want to play this clip. It's a bit long. I think it's probably like four or five minutes. But then I'll share some thoughts afterwards, and then I'll let you go. You know, we live in a world where there's um, a decrying, a diminishing, a dismissing of people with expertise. I remember back when the Brexit debate was still going on. It's now been settled. But um, when the first vote was taking place, I believe it was a BBC correspondent was interviewing the then Minister of Education, um, a conservative who supported Brexit. And the interviewer said something to the effect, well, the experts say, and then he was going to go on, you know, that Brexit will have a disastrous effect on the UK economy, et cetera. And the Minister of Education interrupted him and said, we've had enough of experts. Well, I mean, that sort of says it all. When you start dismissing people who know things, people who are experts in things. Now, uh, I live in the world of the academy, and there are a lot of academics who think they know everything just because they're academics. So I'm not saying that, you know, every academic and every expert always gets it right. But when there's a blanket 
uh, sort of degradation of expertise, of knowledge. And that's that's embedded to a certain extent in the populism we're seeing. You also get a freedom to say what you want. And not only to say what you want, I mean, everybody has that freedom, but it gets more attention and you feel, as we, as we said before, emboldened to say it. But you also feel that those who take issue with you, who criticize you, who may cite facts, can be easily dismissed. Well, I wonder if it isn't even a little bit more toxic than that. I had a conversation with uh, Angela Nagel, who studies extremism online, and 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 I've talked to other scholars uh, who who study these things, and it seems to me that one of the noted pathways into these kinds of ideas is now you begin by what's called shitposting. You're just screwing around. You're trying to be edgy. You're saying things are going to offend people and get a rise out of people. I was a teenager once. It was getting increasingly long ago, but I remember those feelings. I remember acting not in specifically that way, but I remember acting in ways to get a rise out of people. And then people come in and they try to shut you down and you start by getting very offended at the backlash to you, at the political correctness, at the suppression of your speech. And the people who seem to be welcoming you and, and, and rallying to your side are, um, they, they hold really quite toxic ideas. But as you become, like the gateway is, well, I'm, I can say whatever I want. You can't tell me what's true. You can't tell me what to say. But then soon enough, you believe the thing that you were initially just saying provocatively. It, it, and I see it. I see it in relation to anti-Semitism. I see it in relation to racism, to hatred of Muslims, uh, that you start out by saying this provocative thing. And then if a, somebody challenges you, you stand your ground. I've seen it in young people. I see it on the Internet. I see it on comments on my own posting on uh, social media. And then you you almost feel, uh, I have to defend this position, whether you believe it or not, or whether the facts are there or not. Facts become, are now, um, you know, sort of like, well, maybe we'll look at them, maybe we won't. Uh, enough of the facts. Don't confuse me with the facts. But that's not entirely new. If you think about the etymology of the word prejudice, and to some degree where we're sort of dancing around that topic, uh, think about the etymology of the word prejudge. I've made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. You know, I'm going to say something really radical here. Well, it's not that radical, but it's just something I thought about. I, of course, and I'll, I'll, I get the obvious reference or the hypocrisy here as I say this, but I do wonder if freedom of speech is actually not a good thing. know if I don't know if human beings can handle the constant onslaught of information that is fed at them every single day maybe it's not a good thing that everybody or anybody can go onto Twitter or Facebook and share their thoughts and I realize they're policing nudity and pornography and you know animal violence and cruelty or, or even human to human violence but the mental effects of people telling lies, sharing posts that are simply to just get people's attention, not to share truth, but to just stroke their own ego and get attention and, and fill the void that they are living with day in and day out. I don't know if it's a good thing that just anybody can just share their point of view whenever they want onto a social media platform. I know it's 
it sounds crazy and and it, I don't know if it's I don't I don't know if it means that I'm calling for more government involvement and I realize I wouldn't be allowed to have this podcast or you know what are my credentials to allow me to create a podcast and share my points of view it's just it's complicated and I I think it's exciting and I'm very lucky to live here in America and to be able to create a podcast and share my points of view. I just don't know if people can handle getting so much information. I feel like it's creating more confusion and it's creating more polarization. I think that's clearly what's happening because there's too much. And as they were speaking, this idea of being an expert doesn't really matter anymore. Because in one's per in, in one person's mind, whatever they read, it feels like fact. So they think that person is an expert, and then they think they are an expert themselves by reading this opinion piece wherever they read it from. So we have a bunch of people walking around thinking that they're all experts, where merely everybody's just sharing their own opinion. And I'm certainly no expert, but I feel as though I'm very well versed. And I'm constantly educating myself on our culture, the trends of technology, and I'm constantly battling with the, manipula- the manipulative behavior by people around me every single day. I see people constantly staring down at their phones, not having face-to-face conversations. I see cultures that are having quote-unquote conversations online on Facebook where they're just yelling at each other as opposed to just sitting down face-to-face and educating themselves and having a real intimate conversation. That isn't going on. And to me, yes, I know, Nellie, that to me is all of that, all of that disruption, all of the chaos, people not educating themselves, taking the time to really have face-to-face conversations, all of this is creating more disruption than connection. So I I will leave you with that. More necessarily is not better. I think that's something I've been thinking about. But that's the world we live in. Everybody feels as though they can share their opinion, share their point of view, There's no context. There's no sense of truth. Nobody knows what to believe. And I just question sometimes if it's a good thing that anybody can say whatever they want, whenever they want. Not so sure it's a good thing. So I will leave you there. I'm very excited about the direction the show is going to head over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking obviously about tech the impact of tech, but I'm going to talk a lot more about human beings and how complicated we are, where people find value in their life. I'm going to be talking about life and death and how people handle that. So the show is going to just go in a couple different directions over the next few weeks. I'm I'm feeling inspired to go into some different, go down some different avenues. So I hope you'll come along with me. As always, please, if you dig the show, what's really helpful to me is to head over to iTunes and write a review, give the show a five star, and share it with your friends. There's obviously millions of podcasts out there. So if you dig it, share it, tell people about it. 
You can reach out to me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn. If you know of a guest that you think I should talk to, send them my way and I'll reach out to them and see if they want to come on the show. Um, you can visit my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. And that's it. Expect about four or five at least podcasts coming up this month, all with some guests. I'll probably throw in some others if I come across a topic that I think is interesting. I'll record an episode, but for now, as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast.